On today's episode from the Archives, we talk with the offensive coordinator at Buffalo, Andy Kotelnicki. The Buffalo staff has been great to us here at the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. We were able to go out and watch practice last spring. Uh, those guys allowed us to see everything. We sat in meetings, went to the practice, and they just do a tremendous job out there. It's good to see that the MAC is back. And, uh, we're going to have MAC football here in November. This is a great podcast with Andy. He talks about multiplicity in every aspect of offense. I know it's one you'll enjoy. I am excited to be joined today by the offensive coordinator and running backs coach at the University of Buffalo, Andy Kotelnicki. Andy, it's great to have you here on the podcast. Keith, thanks for having me on. Coach, you have an interesting journey as a football coach. I think for the D3 guys out there, you, you do what a lot of those guys dream of, and you guys obviously did an outstanding job at Wisconsin Whitewater, and you are able to take that and move up a lot of you guys together as a staff to the Division One level, to the FBS level at the University of Buffalo. Talk to us about just that experience of one day you're out there playing in the Stag Bowl, and then you get that call some, somewhere down the line, and coach is saying, hey, we're going to Buffalo. Yeah, it is. It, it is a, it's a unique journey in the sense of making that, that kind of jump, and I'm fortunate enough to work with Coach Leipold to, to make that jump with him. My journey started, I guess, way back when I was an undergraduate school, played Division Three school in Wisconsin, Wisconsin River Falls. So I played there. I started my coaching career. I left there, went to Western Illinois University for a couple of years, which is an FCS school. Coached there. Then went back to my alma mater, UW River Falls. Coached there for about a half a dozen years. And that was my first time being a coordinator was there. Did that, like I said, I think it was about half a dozen years. And then I went to a Division Two school in Bismarck, North Dakota, University of Mary. Coached there for a couple of years as a coordinator. And then I went to Whitewater with Lance and Brian Borland, the defensive coordinator. And at that time, it was just well, those two were the guys that I went there with. So I've had the, the fortunate opportunity through my career to be able to coach football at all levels, Division Three, Division Two, FCS, and FBS. And then, obviously, the attraction to go to Whitewater from a Division Two school was the, the things that you hear about, you see about. Obviously, it's a great school location-wise, everything like that, and, and winning a lot. And so I got to join Lance in a unique situation because I joined him the year after they had missed the playoffs for the first time in a, a couple of years. I forget how many it was. And so I got to join him there. I got to know Lance first, coaching against him in that league. And so I met him down at the convention of all places, and we kind of start a conversation, and you keep in touch with people, of course, as you do, and you coach against them on a weekly basis in the league. But when I was coaching in North Dakota, he called, said, hey, we might have an opening here. Would you be interested? And sure, we came down, made it work out coach there and we were like you said you know Keith we had a lot of success we never lost a game when we were there we're having a lot of fun and I was certainly very very lucky to be able to arrive at the time that we did because we inherited some really really talented players when we got there and, and won a lot and at some point late in the not late I would say late in the season the playoffs the University of Buffalo had reached out to coach about the opportunity for him to go over and take over here at Buffalo those things are usually pretty tight-lipped through the process and one day I forget where we were at. I think we were in the quarterfinals. And he called me after the game and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to Buffalo to interview. And I said, oh, geez, you know, that's pretty cool. Is it going to go with? Sure. And so, like you said, we're coaching the Stag Bowl that last year. For you, I think my years just all blend together because I'm terrible that way. <laughs> but you know, they do. So we're coaching. And we had a great game versus Mount Union, which is an awesome game. And we win. And myself, Brian Borland, the coordinator, Derek Paulson, O-line coach, and Al Hensel. We get done with that game. You know, I remember we – land back 
in Wisconsin really, really early on that Saturday morning. I think we get back in the white water. I want to say like at 4.35 in the morning. And then I, I literally proceed to go clean up my office. And we get on a plane the next morning at 5 a.m. to come to Buffalo and start working there. So the transition was it was quickly, it was rapid, and so it was a whirlwind. You know, you look back now four years later, and you're kind of like, wow, that, you know, that's crazy. And it was my first time having been on a staff, the whole staff taking over a new program or taking yeah. over a program for the first time. So there was a ton of things that were learned during that, those first 18 months for sure. Well, Coach, that is an interesting situation. When you think about you go from winning the national championship and I guess any time you are going and taking over a program, you're you're there for a reason. So you're going to have to build something. And it's distinctly different than coming back the next season and defending a national championship and being on that track. So what were some of the things that you learned in those those first 18 months of building the, the, the program at Buffalo? Well, almost what you're asking in some degree is is maybe some of the differences between yeah. FBS football and Division three football. And I would first tell you one thing that is not different, Keith, is the schematics of football. And so, uh, and I'll even I'll say it, I was borderline offended sometimes when people say, well, now the football gets a lot more challenging schematic. I'd laugh at that because I would tell you, and I bet a lot of people who have been able to coach at all levels, I think it got more challenging at the lower levels because people are willing to try things that were unconventional that quite honestly at this level, a lot of times people are afraid to try because, well, the media coverage, et cetera. So that, that's not different. I don't think that's different at all. The schemes, what you do, how you tack it. Well, the first thing that you, I think, when you take over any job is it's not so much level related as it is institutional related. What at the University of Buffalo, because I really didn't have much of an idea about what a good school it was academically or is academically. So when you take over a program to learn as much as you can about perhaps the challenges that are faced at that university, that, that would be true of any level of football, I think. So that, that was the first thing. And sometimes that first year, that's what so much of it is that you learn, okay, here's a challenge. Here's something that our opponents that we face on a weekly basis that they have that we don't. And we're really working hard to close that gap here at Buffalo. And we have in a lot of ways since you know, about the four years we've been here. So to, to uncover some of those things from, okay, the location to, okay, the university, getting kids into school, that part is, is still and always is a challenge. The defined recruiting calendars of the Division One level, which is something, quite honestly, if I was ever on a, a committee at the at the AFCA or, or the NCAA for Division Three football, I would I would consider making a very clearly defined calendar for recruiting, like to have at the one A level. Amen. It really is. I think I remember when you know, my first full time job at River Falls. I remember the day before Christmas Eve, I'm sitting in high schools mm-hmm. and visiting with them. And then Christmas Eve comes and then you take a break for a couple of days and, oh, hey, school starts back up on January 2nd. Okay, you're back on the road again January 2nd. And you don't, you don't have that. You have dead periods, of course, the 1A level. Right. Um, so you really you're out for two or three weeks. So it was kind of unique to come here to Buffalo right after the Stag Bowl. We sit down as a staff and it's a whirlwind of getting caught up with recruiting and here's what the previous staff had offered and here's what the previous staff had, had committed and here's the kids that we have to see and that's going to happen in three weeks here, we'll be able to go on the road and start to put together a plan of where we're going to go, who we're going to see and prioritizing those things. And so when you are on the road in recruiting, it's a whirlwind. That's for sure to go out there and try to get as much done as you can in a two week window, especially when you've got signing day coming up that thing. And then spring football, most places have some form of most all levels have some form of spring football. They define 15 days 
you have here at the FBS level is nice that you can it's clearly define what you can and can't do, how, how much, how little, that kind of stuff. And so you balance this in those first six months especially. Okay, we got to get caught up with recruiting. we got to get familiar with our recruiting territories now because we're all new, we're the whole staff. By the way, you have an entire team that's currently here that you need to get to know and develop and get ready for the fall. And so you know, a, lot of, a lot of hours, that's for sure, you know, right. getting that stuff organized. But, but it's fun. I look back at it, I go, ah, it's enjoyable. Sometimes you, you just don't hardly see the, the end in front of you when you're in the middle of it. But now in hindsight, you go back, oh, geez, well, we got a lot of things done. And if you could do one thing, and one thing I did, I have learned, I think, through that transition is about the importance of, yeah, you got to get caught up in recruiting, but being able to make sure that you are really investing in the guys that are currently mm-hmm. on your roster. I mean, the guys who are there right now and making sure that you get to really evaluate them as what are their strengths, what are their weaknesses, and what what do they do good on the field and off the field and getting caught up that way with them because you really are, especially if you're dealing with a guy who's going to be in his, let's just say, his junior or senior year. You've got to get yourself caught up of two or three years of college experience and maturity that that young man's gone through, and you've got to get that relationship caught up. So. That's something in hindsight I look back on Keith that I go, yeah, you know, that's something that so much, quite honestly, gets overlooked, I think, sometimes when you take over a program or when you first get to a place. Right. Well, Coach, on the on the schematic side, and you mentioned that not a lot of difference between the levels, obviously difference in the talent and the people who are going to execute that. But at the same time, you're coming over from Whitewater. You have a system that is working really well there. Do you make any tweaks or changes as you bring that to Buffalo, and what's the process for determining that? Well, I think the first step that you have to do is you said the my favorite E word of all times, and that's execution. Right. You know, you said it's all that's what it is, right? That's all that we're doing is that we're trying to get eleven guys in the field on offense or defense to execute that play. That's called whatever it might be. So, in order to do that, the first thing you have to do, especially when you're taking over a program, and even if you were just a you were the only coach that came into a program new for, for a cycle or a year. Here's a whole staff coming in is to identify what you have. And then the idea of, okay, here's what they have in the receiver core. Here's what's in the tight end group. Here's what the strength of the offensive line is. Here's what the strength of the quarterbacks are, running backs, et cetera. And then from there, being able to say, okay, we need to be able to do run this, whatever we need. We're not going to be able to run four verticals as well for this reason. We're not going to be able to run inside zone as well for this reason or whatever it might be but we can do this really well, and this quarterback runs really well. We should make sure we're utilizing it that way. Or if he doesn't run, he needs to be able to throw. So I think for, I think I'm going to my, I think my 12th year, 13th year maybe of coordinating. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I have really learned and really, really subscribed to is the idea of being multiple, being multiple with how the plays that you run, being multiple with the formations that you line up in, multiple with the personnel you have in the field, multiple with the tempo that you run, how fast or slow you're going. And I think what, what that's so important because on a, I think on a, even on a weekly basis, your, your team changes based off of who you're playing, based off of maybe who's hurting your program, based off of who's developing really well. And then to think about that from a whole picture, a whole program picture, holistically taking over a program saying, okay, when we were at Whitewater, we were able to do this a bunch. We were able to line up at 21 and 12 personnel and do this. Well, now we come here, are we able to still do that? Okay. And you might say, yes, I can still line up in 12 and 21 personnel or 11 personnel or 10 or whatever you want to do. And I think that evolves. I think that evolves on a yearly basis. You can sit here and say, and I believe this wholeheartedly, you can sit here and say, we're going to recruit to this system. Mm-hmm. Okay. At some point, you're going to find yourself in a situation 
where this system that you have is having your best player sit on the bench or one of your best players sit on the bench. Okay, every time that that tight end's on the field, there's a good receiver coming off the field. Every time a receiver's on the field, is are you taking one of your best tight ends coming off the field? So when we came here, so perfect example here at Buffalo was when we came here, there were two tight ends in the program that one is still playing in the NFL, the other one had a small cup of coffee in the NFL. So we were crazy not to line up in 12 personnel and be multiple with how we use those guys. So you have to have the flexibility within your system to get your guys on the field, but you can't be so right, so multiple that you're not really you become a jack of all trades and a master of none. So you want to make sure that you're staying schematically, what you're asking the kids to execute within reason, but never so so sophisticated and over top that guys aren't able to line up and do those sort of things what they're asking to do. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely, it is. It is about having a system in. I agree with you, and it's always been a, a big philosophy of mine to be able to be multiple because even when you're recruiting, like you said, it, how do you get your best 11 guys on the field? Though you might have recruited a very dynamic slot receiver, and maybe there's a couple of those guys, that tight end might be better than him. And that second tight end maybe is better than the other guy for what you guys are trying to do. So you have to find what not yep. to say that that's – the only thing you do, because I think personneling and packaging is important, but highlighting the talents of the guys you have through having a system that is is encompassing enough that it can ab- absorb those changes. And I think that's the, the, yeah, the biggest mistake I see is that a lot of the offensive systems that guys put together are pretty rigid in being able to adjust to those kinds of things. And so you end up looking the same year after year, regardless of your personnel, and sometimes end up putting, trying to put a square peg in a round hole. Yep. One of my favorite things that uh, sometimes when I, when I speak at a clinic or something, I talk about developing an offensive game plan. And uh, one of my, one of the books that I recommend that people, everyone, everyone read if they're involved in football is Brian Billick's book, developing an offensive game plan. And in there he talks about great coaches have two commonalities. And the first one is that they're outstanding teachers, which I totally agree with. Yep. Okay. And that, that is, again, that doesn't matter what level you're at. Of course, you're, you're a great teacher. But then the second thing is what we're talking about here is that they have really well-defined structures that they have, they adhere to when they're preparing their football teams. But I learned this probably after year five or six of being a coordinator is that those structures that you're adhering to, they can never be so rigid that creativity is hindered because as soon as that happens, it's exactly what you said all of a sudden, I don't, I don't know how to run a 12-personnel play. I don't know how to be in 12-personnel lineup in this formation. You know, those sort of things that become so foreign to your players. You get, your hand, you get handcuffed all of a sudden to a scheme as opposed to players. Yeah, so. and I would add to that the, the creativity definitely, but the learning as well that whatever you put together needs to be easily learned by your players. And you'll find the complexity – and actually being simple in the way you teach it. Your guys will be able to do a lot more and look a lot more complex if it's simple to learn. Yeah, yeah totally. Who was it? Was it Socrates or Da Vinci? What was it called? Uh, simplicity is the greatest form of sophistication? Yeah. I, one of those two guys said that. I, I don't know who's – Probably both of them. I don't know who said it. It's actually – it's in the – it's in the front of one of my playbooks. We we put it in there. But yeah, that's oh, there that's you go. An... See, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, coach, you you've you've been able to obviously make a splash with what you're doing and it's proving effective at Buffalo. This year you guys were the second ranked in total offense, averaging four hundred and thirty two yards a game this past year, I should say. 
and you set the record for most yards in a season in school history. So doing some significant things as far as your execution on offense. I think the interesting part, the thing I read is, is that you did that with three different quarterbacks this past year. Yeah. And that is anyone can imagine and has been through that, that is can be stressful because like here we are talking about personnel and a lot of times we speak of receivers and tight ends and running backs and lines and you kind of just assume the quarterback is the quarterback, but what happens when that guy starts changing a little bit? How does the system have to change? And we were, well, we were very fortunate. Our starter is back again next year, Tyree Jackson. He came back. He got dinged up. I think it was game four, maybe, something like I forget. And we were blessed. Our backup came in and did one heck of a job. Had a game, set a bunch of, set some school records in that game and, and really tore it up. And then he got dinged up and we had, we went to a, a true freshman uh, who came in and, had, and started for a game and a half for us before our, our starter came back at the end of the year. And I think it, it illustrates, of course, the importance of surrounding your quarterback with talented players. It makes, uh, however good or bad a quarterback may be, he'll, he'll be better when he's got surrounded by good players. And conversely, you need that guy to make the guys around him better. Our quarterback coach, Jim Zabrowski, did an awesome job of working with those guys. We were able to identify early in the game plan week saying, okay, here's the strengths of this young man. Here's what he did really well. Here's what he's doing really well. Here's the kind of things you've got to be able to make sure that we're emphasizing the game plan for him. All right, and then it was unfortunate. The next week we're having that same conversation because of the new guy in there. And so for Jim to take a lot of time with those guys and and, and really spend the time of, of what the game plan has to be into them. And, of course, when you play a younger guy, you, you do less things and you you really try to make it simple for him. You try to make mm-hmm. it simple for everybody and eliminate variables for all that, always for that position. But, but when he's a true freshman stepping in the game for the first time, you probably tend to be – beyond conservative I would say in a lot of ways and so to be able to do some of those things offensively with dealing with a couple of different quarterbacks is, is probably a credit to certainly all the players that are out there I said surrounding the quarterback with good players and I'm very fortunate I get to work with a lot of really good offensive coaches so and I always say this Keith, I'm always very hesitant to talk about numbers and statistics because one of my favorite sayings is statistics lie and liars use statistics and that is so <laughs> true because the only one that really the only one that matters at the end of the day is if you won the game or not so I tell our guys, our only goal that we have on offensive football is to score at least one more point yeah. than our opponent. I don't want to sound too silly. If it's 77, then it's 77. If it's three, it's three. Yeah. Whatever it is, but that's what, our, that's what our job is. And you try not to lose that because, of course, at this day and age, it's really easy to talk about statistics. And, and certainly we know that some things are indicators of success, turnovers, explosives, right, you know, that kind of stuff. But we want to make sure that I always tell guys, it says we took a good step last year in our program step forward and we're looking to build and we have some guys coming back for next year but I said don't ever forget we always talk about you never know you never know in one in a given snap if that's going to be the difference between winning a game or losing a game because that's what it comes down to when I said we're as close to being two and ten as we were to ten and two so you got to just put your head down and keep focused on the process that's what we talk about here all the time yeah I I was big on that goal as well and, and shared that with my team and and I said, we're going to look at things. We're going to have some measurables that tell us about how we're doing and offensive efficiency and stuff like that. But those are not things that we're hanging our hat on because our job as an offense is to score one more point than the other team. And we will absolutely take that on our shoulders. We will not point to what any other unit is doing on the field. That's This is the only thing we care about. That's our only job in this game is to score one more point than the other team. So I think it's a powerful thing when, when you, and the accountability of that too, when you put that on your team and it really takes the finger pointing away that 
we didn't yeah. either we did or we did not do what we were supposed to do. Yep, that's right. You win or lose, and that's, that's the bottom line. We're, our staff does a good job of making sure everyone understands that the day after a game, and when you lose a game, like we said, seventy to seventy to sixty-eight, or you lose ten to three. I mean, uh, there's it's typically going to be one or two plays in that game on your side of the ball that would have been the difference. Mm-hmm. So that's what we work on a daily basis, trying to make sure that we're prepared for that situation when it comes up. Coach, I know you're not big on statistics, but if I look at some of the key things that your statistics are showing, you guys were obviously most improved in those kinds of things in scoring offense and passing offense. You guys are in the tops in the country. But I think some key indicators and some important things that I see here is that uh, you guys were uh, second in the MAC and fewest three and outs, and you were first in the MAC in third down conversions and actually eighth in the nation in turnovers lost. So you guys are taking care of the football, and you're on the field. And they can't score when their offense isn't on the field. I think those are some important st- statistics to helping your team. Tell us how those are emphasized and think about from the game plan all the way through execu- execution on Saturday. Sure. Well, I think I'll just start with ball security. That's a huge emphasis in our program. We practice it daily. We talk about it in every meeting that we have. Forget what book I read it in, but I think sometimes, and it made a lot of sense to me when I read it because it said, you know your message is getting home or they're hearing it and they understand it because they start to actually kind of mock it or almost roll their eyes when they, when you, when they hear you saying it. And so every meeting that we have as an offense, I'm talking about ball security. I'm talking about it. We're showing good examples. We're showing bad examples. And so we practice it daily. It's a huge emphasis for us. Certainly when you're talking about throwing the ball interceptions and our quarterbacks making good decisions. It's a credit to those guys to knowing where they're going with the football and being smart with it. Talk about fumbles. And, and we have in our program, the, the 10 commandments of ball security that we talk about. And so we want to make sure that we're taking care of the ball. But then when you talk about some of those uh, situational statistics, you certainly, I think when you talk about game planning, I think you have to be able to break it all down and do what we call in our program, making football finite, knowing that you have only so many third downs, that will come up in a game of football. Only so many third and ones and third and two to threes and third and tens and that kind of stuff to really know what those numbers are and then to have a specific plan for those kind of situations and then having our guys understand what those plans are, specifically the third downs. Of course, that can carry over in the low red zone and everything like that. And then you have only so many what we would call normal down and distance call, calls where you first start second down in less than eight, okay? And, and you know that those are going to happen for us last year. I think it was – Outside the red zone, at least, I think that happened I think, 42 times a game. So you have that normal down and distance, that open script package of plays that you typically, a lot of people, most people install early in the week to face your opponent. And then you specifically talked about, I guess, about three and out. It's one of the things that we do is that we kind of go into a game. We want to make sure that we have, we're staying very balanced on our possession in 10 plays. Mm-hmm. We know that when we're coming off the sideline to run a play, we feel like we have a pretty good, we don't have a lot of tendencies there. So. Right. That's what we're trying to do and make, do a good job of that. And we understand that's one of the stats that's becoming a much bigger indicator now of offensive success is points per possessions and sustaining drives. How many times are you actually getting a first down when you start a drive and what that means, the indicator of winning, that's a big deal. So it just goes down to installing it throughout the week, making sure you guys understand the situation when we're coming out and then having good players. Absolutely. <laughs> right? But it doesn't have to be harder than that. No, and and I hear you talk. Definitely some of that Brian Billick philosophy shining through some of the things you say. It's a book I read. 
like every off season, it, it sits on my shelf. I actually picked up Doc Peterson at Coach's Choice had a newer version of it and, and gave me one of those. So an updated version, oh, but look at it. yeah, it's definitely, I, I recommend it to every coach out there. You get it on the USA football website as well. We're partners with coaches choice. So it's available there. Highly recommend it. And it seems like you and I are aligned in a lot of ways in our offensive philosophies. And I know you talked about being multiple in everything you do. Certainly tempo, tempo and RPOs, big things right now for a lot of yep. offenses I'm aligned with you in, in, in the fact that I believe you have to have multiple tempos. And I also believe that you game plan tempo. You take a look at what are your needs in terms of tempo for every game and what tools, what procedural tools are you going to use? Because when, you, when you look at it, it boils down to tempo is really a procedural tool and how you're going to operate. So in that regard, how do you, you work that? How do you game plan that? How does it how does it make its way into the thought process? Well, I, I, it starts with, first of all, is that something that we do well? And so in part of our self scout that we do on a weekly basis and at the end of the year, of course, but we try to keep up on it on a weekly basis. Okay, when we're we playing fast, well, let's say we're just running inside zone, are we a more efficient and productive team when we play fast running inside zone? Or are we a more efficient, productive team when we play slow? Whatever it might be. So, we start there. We go, how are we doing with it? And typically through the years, obviously, we do some of it. So we, we feel like we're, we're, it's helping us, okay? In our philosophy as we approach tempos, you know, it's kind of like baseball pitching in that if you've got the guy who throws the heat, that's going to be good for a while, but at some point they'll get onto that a little bit, and, and then they're gonna, there's no change up at all of pace. Right. And so we want to make sure that we're varying the tempo. And, and I think that's – and that's just – and I'm not saying right or wrong if you play fast all the time or play slow all the time. It's just what we believe is that we're yeah. – we're trying to just change up the tempo on people. So how, how good are we currently at it? All right. And then we start to evaluate things on film. Is that team struggling against tempo? Right. If the answer is, Hey, yeah, they're struggling when we shoot teams live and play fast. And well, you're playing fast, pretty good. Does it make sense for you to do that that week? Well, yeah, it does. If you're trying to just get down the field and score points as fast as you can, but there are moments in the game, as we all know, especially if you're a defensive coach listening mm-hmm. where and they don't want the offense playing fast. Heck, coach doesn't want, to, doesn't want to be going faster. He's not trying to set a record for the most number of possessions in the game. And that's, again, that's not right or wrong. Whatever your philosophy is, it's just kind of making sure you're on the same page about how much you're going to be able to do it. So are we doing it well? How are they against defending it? What plays are we running really well that we're executing well that we feel like we can execute at tempo? I always thought we've been running tempo for a while, but I remember running it back when – I guess probably in front of it a little bit in terms of when it became a fad and thinking well, that was before officials knew how to really manage it correctly. Yeah, exactly. They used to change. used to be able to, used to be able to run from 11 to 12 and used <laughs> to come in and out. And they would not, they wouldn't know what to do. And so it was just chaos out there. But I remember early on finding that there were some plays the defense could almost fall into in defending the play. If, if you guys were doing the right thing and let's say you ran outside zone left and but the three technique just fell off, and he didn't really run, and all of a sudden he finds himself in the backfield making a play. So maybe identifying plays that you didn't want to run against that opponent quickly or another way. But it's certainly having a little bit of tempo certainly makes your, quote-unquote, two-minute situations easier to do when you have the procedure in place to do those sort of things. It's not as big of a deal. You said that before, Keith, you kind of talked about changing the procedures, which – is something I think offensively that is an easy, easy way to add multiplicity to your offense mm-hmm. because really when you talk about changing the procedures, you're talking about things that happen before the snap. 
And really anything that happens before a snap is choreographed like a dance. Yeah. So kids can learn how to play fast. They can learn how to play slow. They can learn how to motion. They can learn how to shift. They can learn how to do all that stuff. Check, check plays. They can learn how to be, they can be choreographed. That doesn't, that is not straining or taxing on their bodies. Okay. Right. But then the challenge becomes, we're going to do these choreographed movements, whatever, playing fast motions and shifts, making sure that the things that we're choreographing allow us then to hopefully help execute the play that we're calling, whatever, four verticals, all hitches, inside zone, left, inside zone, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're trying to do with our tempo a little bit. Hopefully that answers the question about how it kind of fits into our game plan. We want to be able to carry it. Very rarely do we go into a game and say, oh, man, we can't play fast at all against these guys. Because like you said, Keith, at the end of the day, your job is to score one more point in the defense. Right. And so that's what you got to do. Faster, slow as you have to play. Yeah, I really like your idea of taking a look at the plays you run and which, which really do align best with your fastest tempos. I couldn't agree more. I mean, we we were doing some things where we were using some imbalanced and trying to do it out of – we were using – essentially Auburn's made it kind of popular again, their sugar huddle where our line's about a a yard off the ball and we break the huddle, we're up on the ball and we're snapping it within 3.5 seconds. So we have that effect of being up-tempo. But what we found, what would hurt us, and this went into thinking about which plays we could use, that on some of those plays, like if there were some calls or some things they needed to identify, that it kind of hurt them if everybody was – moving around and we got to the point where okay we're still going to do this out of this fast tempo huddle but we're going to put the call on the center and we're going to let him call set hut when he feels like everybody's ready to go and and basically we put it on him to say let him let him get their fingers in the dirt but not set and then we could go at least we know where they are so there's a lot of things you do need to look at and i guess the point is kind of quality control on your part What's going to work best with the yep. set of plays that you have? Because just to say everything's going to work up tempo, you have to evaluate that. There's some things you want the defense to actually see and maybe adjust to so you can take advantage of that if it's something that breaks a tendency. Yep. And I certainly know that the teams that subscribe to playing fast all the time, play fast, 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 like you, I'm, I'm a, you know, I want to be educated with everything that's happening in football. And so we ask everyone who's playing fast all the time and they're saying, well, that's okay play 35 we might not have a very good look and we didn't execute it very well but we're going to get another 20 extra plays in this game to run yeah, so right. we're going to get one of one of those will be a good look for us and so it's all about right whatever you want to do as long, as long as it's in alignment with what your head coach wants and what 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 you think you need to do to win football games and everyone's on the same page about doing it i think it's all good you know what i mean that's i have yet to go to a clinic where i'm like well, that doesn't work so <laughs> it's about whatever whatever you can get to finish well, it's about alignment. Your staff needs to be aligned. Your players need to be aligned. Everybody has to be on the same page and believe it. And if you believe it and you could go out and execute it, and maybe you understand some of the obstacles and things that might happen along the way and, and you handle those the right way, you have the right response to those things, you're going to be fine regardless of what you decide to do. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing in talking about the tempo part is, to me, it's always been this is for me maybe going from being a head coach then to an offensive coordinator at the college level that I had more of an eye for things and and management of a total game plan that I was sensitive to what our defense might need at certain times. And and being in the press box up next to our defensive coordinator always allowed me a second to say, Coach, you you good or what do you need? And he'd feel free to to lean over and say, hey, man, see what you could do to to keep us off the field here for a little bit. we got to get some things adjusted. And you have to have the opportunity to do that as well. And I think that's what, what comes yep. in into being multiple with tempo as well. 
Yep, I, I I totally agree. I think the way football it is now, you have to be able to at times slow down and at times play fast and everything in between. So make them make them defend all the pitches. That's what we say. In getting into the RPO world, I do feel that a lot of those plays live well at fast tempos because you build a lot of things in to allow your guys to be right and and to make some quick decisions, both pre-snap as well as post-snap on the reaction of the defense. How how much has RPO made its way into what you guys are doing? Yeah, we've been running RPOs for a while. Quite honest, at least way back when I was in when I was in North Dakota. You know what I mean? I think the first one we ever ran was zone left, bubble right. The quarterback read the the outside backer. That seems really simple now, but back then it was like you're like, oh my gosh, yes, you can read that guy post snap, and then it evolved to stick and the draws and all that kind of stuff to what it is nowadays with first level reads and second level reads and third level reads and all that kind of stuff. So we do it quite a bit. We do it quite a bit. I think it is a way for people to run option football without a lot of times they'll be having to run the quarterback the way that the option yeah. teams do. Right. So, and my favorite word in all of football right now is it applies to offense versus defense is distortion. Whatever you can do to distort the defense and create grass, challenging coverages or reads for defenders I think you need to be able to do, however it is. You know what I mean? There's a lot of ways to distort teams, but to always keep in the forefront of your mind is this is how we're distorting that defense, right? Because whatever we draw on the board, there's a defense that schematically would be an answer to it, right? And any defense that someone draws against us, schematically there's an offense answer to it. So how do you create those plays? How do you let your guys execute that E word, my favorite E word, (laughs) execute, and I think distorting things, distorting defenders, making them cover a larger area, making them have to be option sound in what they're doing allows an offense to, to go. And the next thing you know, that outside backer who's responsible to cover that, that number two, and now he's got to fold in and make a play in the run. Well, he didn't fold in quite fast enough, and now that play was an efficient run play or an explosive run play or the, the throw to that receiver was better. And so to distort those guys, is a huge part of what we're going to do on a weekly basis, for sure. Absolutely. Well, Coach, you guys are doing some great things there at Buffalo. You did great things at Whitewater, and I'd love to see that you guys are starting to experience that success. We know with anything, and anytime you take over a program, it's a process. You guys are certainly on that upward trend. Appreciate that you and, and Coach Hensel spent some time with me on the podcast, and I'm going to ask you the same question I ask all guests at the end of this all the things you do, you guys are doing a ton of great stuff. But if you were to say, this is the team that gives my guys, my team, my unit, the winning edge, what would that be? Well, if you're talking about, first, I'm going to answer, I'll try to be brief with the answer. I think that there are some cultural things yep. in terms of getting your guys to buy into what you're doing as a huge. As this huge. It goes beyond anything schematically. And that, I know probably everyone that gets on here to visit with you talks about that word, culture. Yep. It's almost become a cliche term nowadays, quite honestly. And, and people do really, what does culture mean? So to get guys to believe and to buy in and see themselves having success doing what you're doing on either side of the ball or within your program, I think is critical import, of, of critical importance. And it takes time, like, like, like we talked about before, to, to get that into a program. Like I said, we certainly don't feel like we've arrived, and we probably never will. But we can, we we would talk all the time as a staff and how there's a difference with our guys now, in terms of them understanding the expectations and doing it, and and understanding why we're doing things. I think is so important. So so I feel like that's an edge that we're doing within our program. I think that we we try to look at things very objectively, 
and we have it defined for the guys for them to execute. I would say that's what we do within our program. But schematically, we're, we're going to run four verticals and we're going to run inside zone RPS. <laughs> we're going to run the heck out of those things, and that's what that's our edge. We say that's what we're going to be able to do no matter what. We're going to be able to do those sort of things. And there's a we've had a ton of yardage. We're going to execute those things, and you can play fast, play slow, motion, however you're going to do it. Of course, that's not all we do, but that's that's where we're going to start. So yep. guys believe it and recognize that we can execute those plays. Coach, really appreciate you taking the time today. Great conversation here. A, a lot to take away. I know this will be one I actually go back through and take some notes on some of the things you said. I'm sure our listeners will too. If there's any listener out there who wants to connect with you and, and learn more about the things that you're doing, what's the best way to do that? Well, I would say probably email me directly at andrewk at buffalo.edu. You can also find it in this thing called the internet. It's not too hard to find. Um, I would say that. Find me on Twitter. It's just at Colvin looking at my last name. Those two spots are probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Awesome. But our, our staff, one of the things I would say, uh, Keith, I, I'm very fortunate, like I said, to work with a ton of guys who are great football coaches. We're, we're a bunch of ball coaches. We love to just talk ball. I, I will say our door is always open. You want to come up and watch practice. You want to come up and talk ball. That, we love doing that stuff. So our doors are always open to people. Coach, thanks again. Love what you guys are doing over there. It was, it was great to have you here, and I look forward to talking with you again sometime on the podcast. I appreciate it, Keith. Thank you. Thanks again for joining us on the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes coming here in the next month. If you have a minute, please head over to iTunes and click five-star rate. If you have a minute, write a review. We really appreciate it, and it does help the podcast. And follow me on Twitter, at Coach K. Grabowski.